of the sky. Look. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I am your host, Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime superhero fan, lifetime animation fan, and you are listening to the podcast exclusively talking comic book animation. Welcome to episode 43. Let me briefly explain the rules. Rule number one, like I said, it's comic book animation. That's what we talk about here. Number two. Big fan of old team-up books. Marvel Team-Up DC Comics presents Brave and the Bold. So this is a team-up podcast every week. It's me and a special guest. And number three, and most important, we got to have fun. It's going to be kind of a special episode. Uh, It's rare we get out of the Marvel DC Comics bubble, but we are going to do it this week. We are going to be talking the one, the only, Todd McFarlane's Spawn. But before we get into that, let me introduce my guest. He is the host of the YouTube channel, The Raging Rainbow. Welcome to the multiverse, Dr. Midnighter. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on. Glad to be here. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us for episode 43. I have to, before we get started, this movie off the subject, uh, that name, are you a big fan of Dr. Midnight? That I definitely am, yeah. And I, I just combined it. I threw an R on the end because I'm also a fan of the character Midnighter. So I figured, why not? We'll throw them both together. So that's how I got them. But yeah, Dr. Midnight, always going to be number one in my heart. All right. So I got to ask the question a little off subject, but it's rare I talk to someone who uh, Dr. Midnight is their favorite character. I don't know <laughs> how long you've been reading comics, but in the early 2000s on the DC message boards, there was a small but very vocal minority of the original JSA. Dr. Midnight had to be gay. He was clearly written to be gay. That was the intention. They should make him gay. He's your favorite character. <laughs> Have you ever heard this? <laughs> Have you heard this before? And where do you stand on it? I actually no, I've never heard that before, but I am not surprised to hear people say that. Um, I guess I could see where it kind of comes from. He's a little bit eccentric in the way he dresses and the way he acts. I always just kind of chalk that up more to him being, you know, a doctor. They tend to be very interesting people. I don't really agree with that all too much. My fascination with the character came about because uh, he's one of the only characters I knew who was openly Catholic. And I myself, I'm also Catholic. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then also him being a surgeon. At one point in my life, I wanted to be a surgeon. But when I started smoking cigarettes... I realized no one wants a neurosurgeon with a shaky hand, so I figured, no, that's probably not going to work for me. I'll just enjoy the comic book character. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, it's not so much. It doesn't come up nowadays. This is the early days of the DC message boards, where he didn't have a, a love interest in the in the golden age. That was always their big go to. And I don't know if it was they thought he should become gay or if that was the intention all along. I'm pretty sure they probably looked at it that way. But, I mean, it, it's one of those things. That, I mean, he may not have had a girlfriend or a wife, but it, it doesn't really matter. He's The big thing is the superhero stories. That's what I'm in it for. So Normally, I would even bring something like that up, but it's not every day. I talk to someone who Dr. Midnight is their uh, favorite character. All right, so let's move on. We're talking Spawn today. Now, uh, I just want to give a full disclosure. Uh, uh, you're going to hear spoilers if you've never seen the Spawn cartoon. And I always preference, I am not a comic book expert. I'm just a guy who likes to talk comic books and superheroes, been a fan my whole life, but I am not passing myself as an expert. My guest may be an expert, but (laughs) I do not consider myself an expert. I haven't been, this is one of the reasons I wanted you on this episode. I haven't been reading the newer stuff that's just come out recently, Gunslinger and all that, uh, Kingspawn. Have you been reading the the more recent stuff since the big return? Oh yeah, I, I've been reading pretty much all of it. The ongoing Spawn, King Spawn, uh, Gunslinger Spawn, The Scourge, pretty much anything connected to Spawn right now, the Spawn universe. Todd McFarlane, I've been reading all of it. So I mean, yeah, it, it's it's really an interesting time. I mean, it used to be we just had the main Spawn book, maybe one or two kind of like offshoots and tie-ins, but never anything like an expanded Spawn universe, which is what we have now. And 
I'm loving all of it. I, I have to be honest. I enjoy it. Well, I got to say, I recently, I picked up uh, Rob Blyfield's Profit. I got to say, and I only bring this up because they're two of the original Image guys, is I enjoyed it. It felt like I was, I went through a time machine because it feels like nothing has changed since the 90s when I read that comic book. And would you say Spawn is the same or do you think it's evolved with the times? Uh, I would say it's evolved a little bit with the times, but for the most part, it still has, you know, the same themes. It's very much just dealing with battles between hell and heaven and angels and demons. But there's a little bit kind of going on. You have currently in the uh, in the Scorch book, they're dealing with some Russian armies, which kind of does feel like it's a little bit ripped out of the headline, just judging what's happening with Ukraine. But other than that, no, it's mostly the same. It's kind of just, it kept that same vibe about just being a supernatural thriller. So, I mean, if I were to say anything's evolved, it'd probably be the art style. But even that is still very much, you open it, it kind of feels like it's still a 90s book. All right, before we get into the cartoon, we're going to get a little little background on the character. In the uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, Marvel was really, comic books were picking up, but especially Marvel Comics was really picking up a lot of steam selling a lot of books. In my lifetime, I feel it's the most successful the comic book industry has ever been. And a lot of the Marvel artists band together felt they were doing a lot of the work and not getting a, I don't know if it was they wanted the money as much as they wanted the credit, but they didn't own any of the characters. So, for example, obviously, Rob Liefeld working on the X-Books, Tyron McFarlane working on the Spider-Man books, as well as Eric Larson. It was also... Uh, God, now I'm drawing a blank. Uh, the guy who did Guardians of the Galaxy the uh, before. What the, why can I not remember his name? Valentino, I believe is his name. Yeah, yeah Jim Valentino. And uh, <laughs> Jim Lee as well, working on the X-Men book. So they decided they were all going to create their own comic book, Image Comics, which would be all creator-owned books. So they would get the credit, also have the full creative control, and ultimately get the money. And Todd McFarlane created spawn first issue released back in 1992 and looking this up uh well tom mcfarland says he had created the character back in high school before he uh had really started working for comic books i don't know if the design was exactly the same but the ideas and we're looking this up and i don't know maybe i want your opinion on this most of the things i see said that issue one sold 1.7 million copies and that sounds high. I know it went well, but that sounds like above and beyond to me. Yeah, I think that that sounds about right because it, it definitely was very popular. I mean, you can still find a lot of them um, pretty reasonably priced, which usually does happen when they sell on the higher, like in the millions. You can still find them even, you know, what is this, 30 years later now, you can still find them, you know, pretty reasonably priced. They've gone up a little bit. Uh, I do have an issue, number one, that I got a few years ago, and I think I bought mine for about $40, so not not super crazy expensive, but, you know, they are still a little bit up there, definitely more than the cover price, so I, I would say that sounds about right to me. It, it probably was about, you know, over a million copies, so, I mean, definitely a success. That would definitely be a success today, so I'm sure there are plenty of comic book creators wish they had that. Yeah, to my knowledge, uh, that Star Wars number one is like the only comic in recent years that has even come close to selling 1.7 million. I had a copy of number one, but uh, years ago there was a fire in my apartment which destroyed a big portion of my comic collection. And yeah, Spawn number one was one of the many casualties <laughs> of that fire. <laughs> so um, the comic was very popular as long uh, amongst you know Young Blood, Wildcats, a lot of the books from Image. A couple years go by and. HBO wants to develop a uh, cartoon of their own. Uh, a lot of the research I looked into said that they were heavily influenced by Batman, the animated series and its popularity. And HBO wanted to create their own version of that. Obviously uh, slightly more adult. Yeah, for sure. If it's going to be on HBO, it's going to have to be upped a little bit as far as violence and, you know, profane language, even a little bit of nudity here and there. So, yeah, they definitely they delivered for where they were at. Uh, and supposedly it was uh, the first program on HBO that had all of the five major warnings before the show of uh, the mature content of violence, nudity, drug use, vulgar language, and I believe smoking all. Ron, that first season. 
And the funniest thing is, I mean, in the very first episode, they lived up to that. They hit every single one on the checklist. An urban legend is McFarland asked him in the first meeting if he could say the F word. Because by his logic, if they said yes, then he could get away with anything. <laughs> yeah, definitely by those standards back in the day, I could see how that would be the one thing that if they say yes to this, they'll say yes to anything. It was uh, HBO Animation and uh, Todd McFarland Entertainment that produced the show. Uh, originally, uh, which I thought was kind of high, $6 million was the budget for the first season, which seems very high because uh, it only produced six episodes of that season. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, definitely back in the day, I mean, even now, six million is a lot. But if you think about that back in the day, like, wow, that's that's plenty of money. And I can see it when I look at it. It just it's such a well-produced show. The art in it looks so fantastic. I believe they probably used every single dollar of that really just pumping it all into it. So it makes sense to me. A big debate at the time, not so much now, was uh, who do you think was the best of the image artists of those original guys who formed the company? See, for me, it's always kind of been between Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane. I love both. I haven't seen anything really from either of them that I didn't like. But I also really loved um, Mark Silvestri, Wilsh Portacio. Like, I think all of them together really, really set it off. But I mean, if you were to ask me, hold a gun to my head and say, make a choice, it would probably be Jim Lee. Because anytime I see his name, I just get excited. Yeah, I'd probably agree. I think I like... If this makes any sense, I like McFarlane's art style better, but I actually think Jim Lee is the better artist, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Uh, the show was developed by one Alan uh, McElroy, I believe is his name. And uh, they actually got some crew members who worked on uh, Batman the Animated Series to actually uh, work on the show as well. Oh, that's very smart. Yeah, if you're, trying to, if you're trying to capture the magic of some other show, it's best to try and just poach as many of them as you can and hope to have lightning strike twice i don't know how old you are but in the 90s superhero animation was really had come back in a big way because in the late 80s it had kind of died but once batman the animated series came around there was pretty much every network was developing a superhero show like every other week there's probably stuff that people don't even know even existed in the first place that's very true. And I, I came up at a, at a very lucky time because I was born in 93. So for me, a bunch of them had actually already gone off the air by the time I was born. But I was lucky enough that when I was a kid at the time to really get into superhero shows, they were starting to do reruns. So a lot of this was in syndication. So I grew up, I remember very clearly watching Batman, the animated series, Superman, the animated series, Spawn every so often when my parents had HBO, it would be on and I would definitely watch it. So it was just, it was a perfect time. And then at night, being able to see things like from the 80s, you know, old He-Man, old G.I. Joe, like it's just, it was the perfect time for me to come up. So it really fueled a lifelong love for me. Now, um, again, this is what I found. I don't know how true this is, but supposedly in the negotiation, HBO originally gave McFarland creative control of the first series of the cartoon, which to me is kind of unprecedented at that time anyway. Very true. Yeah, They probably looked at it like, well, we don't really know what this is going to be like, how this is going to go. So it's probably at the very least, we're not sacrificing too much if we let him screw up his own creation. Then he won't be able to blame us. But apparently they weren't too happy with a lot of the creative decisions of the first season. They said the story uh, was going in too dark of a direction, mm. which I find particularly odd, a show about a guy who's a hell spawn. <laughs> <laughs> You would think from the from the name and at least the concept, they kind of understood what it was going toward. So for them to all of a sudden balk and say, oh, oh no, this is this is a bit too much. It was just more extreme than we signed up for. I mean, this is dealing with the forces of heaven and hell. So, I mean, I don't know what what else you expected to come about. And your HBO. How can you be surprised? And supposedly they demanded rewrites after the second series had already been animated which made things pretty difficult. In fact, I haven't seen it, but I'm told the second season there's a lot of reused footage, which now I'm kind of curious to go back and watch. That's definitely true. I've noticed that in, in some of the times that I've rewatched it, I've rewatched it a few times over the years, and you do notice there are some scenes where it's like, I could swear I've seen this before. Like, I know for sure they've already done this. Why is that? Or there's like flashback moments where it's just, that was kind of random. So, I mean, that makes sense that they they kind of stepped in where like, you're going to have to redo this, and they sat there like, 
well, we already did it, so we'll try and work around it as much as we can, but there's not a whole lot we can do at this point. Yeah, and they said supposedly Mad City Animation was brought in to help with that because of the rewrites. And they a lot of people have said there's a noticeable difference in the how the animation style is cleaned up a lot more in the second series as well. That's true. Yeah, it kind of loses a little bit of that grittiness that it had in the first season, which, I mean, I guess made it a little bit more palatable for a wider audience. But at the same time, it kind of lost a little bit of its dark spirit. This show ran from 1997 to 1999. They were negotiating a fourth season, but for whatever reason, the fourth season never actually happened. Mm. Now, a lot of people say that why the show never got as popular is because it came out at the same time period of the live action Spawn movie, which was not a critical success or I don't know how much financial success. And a lot of people had a bad, they, they looked at the cartoon as bad being based on that live action film, which have you ever seen that? Oh yeah. I, I that was actually one of the reasons why I started out loving Spawn. Cause I watched it as a kid, the movie as a kid. And yeah, Looking back on it now, as I've rewatched it in modern day, I'm like, ooh, this was really bad. But to me as a child, it was awesome. So when I grew up, I didn't really understand the hatred. And then I rewatched and I was like, I see where they're coming from. What I don't really understand, there are a lot of people who say even back then, they felt like the special effects weren't all that good. But I mean, it was still kind of burgeoning. The, the computer generated graphics at the time were still fairly new. So, I mean, for people to be that harsh on it at the time, I don't I don't see that being the case narratively it's a little weak towards the end um but just setting everything up i thought it did pretty good and i will say it it at least got enough attention and notoriety that todd has been trying to make another one for decades now so fingers crossed we might be getting it sometime soon yeah i rewatched it recently and i didn't hate it i do admit some of the cgi is rough and (laughs) Maybe I'm just getting older, but man, I found John Leguizamo's really annoying when I uh, rewatched it. He really is. He does not. I will say, I think that was one of the improvements on the show was the clown character is more sinister and less comedic, I guess. Todd McFarlane, uh, well, apparently he was very successful because uh, at one point um, he had bought Mark McGuire's 70th home run baseball for the sum of $2.6 million. I had heard about that. And I've even seen a video one time where he pulls out that exact ball and he still has it. And, you know, if I paid $2.6 million for anything, I, you can believe they're going to bury me with it. So I hope that he he keeps that somewhere in a place of prominence, shows it to everyone who comes over to the house because that's a big buy. But he's definitely a sports guy, which is kind of interesting when you kind of look at Todd's story as far as getting into comics he was always more of a jock type of guy and then all of a sudden here he is doing comic books and superheroes so it it's kind of interesting for Todd to have done that but it it makes sense when you hear that story and how much he paid for that ball yeah he's that's a sports fan right there I believe I could be wrong because I'm not an expert I believe he was co-owner of the Edmonton Oilers at uh, one point as well yeah and that's that's what I'm saying. He just he definitely has that love of sports that comes through. And I also think that when he started his toy company, a lot of the first things he was doing was mostly like figures of athletes and stuff like that. So I mean, that really kind of helped him step up. I mean, certainly you look at what McFarland Toys is doing today. I mean, they have really expanded their brand to all sorts of stuff. But yeah, it started all with his his love of sports. So I mean, you'd be surprised sometimes. Things can happen and they can start in the strangest of places and just go everywhere else. So good for him, though. And a little bit of history as well. I think Todd McFarlane is the only one of the original image guys to never go back and directly work for Marvel or DC ever again. He did the Spawn Batman crossover. And I believe McFarlane Toys has licensed some of the DC characters but he's never actually worked directly for Marvel or DC again after Image was formed. He's the only one of those original guys who can say that. That's very true, yeah. And, you know, big props to him. I mean, that's that's impressive to go that long and say, you know, I'm going to do my own thing and to do it long enough that the companies that maybe at one time he dreamed of working for are now coming to him and saying, will you please make our toys because you do them so well? I mean, that's just that has to be the best feeling in the world, just knowing that, they respect you well enough to come to you and ask you that. So 
yeah, I, I'm applause to him because he definitely did it all on his own terms and it worked out perfectly. So good for him. And I'm old enough to remember where like in the nineties when people said, ah, that, that image thing, that's not, not, it's hot now, but that's not going to last. That's going to get squashed. They're going to go out of business. And here we are. They just celebrated their 30th anniversary. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things where it's like people were betting against them, but I mean, I kind of understand it in my own lifetime. This is a very weird parallel to draw, but I remember when boy bands were a thing and everybody was into NSYNC and then Justin Timberlake started a solo career and everybody said, ah, that kid from the boy band, he's never going to make it here. He is, you know, laughing all of us to the bank. So sometimes you'd be surprised. All right, so we are going to go back to May 16th, 1997, Spawn episode, Burning Vision, written by Alan McElroy. Normally, I'd give credit for who created the characters, but Todd McFarlane pretty much created all of them, except for uh, one he co-created with Neil Gaiman. I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, because if you ever listen to the show, I'm horrible at pronunciation. <laughs> Maybe you can help me out here. Yeah, Cogliostro. Cogliostro. co-created with Neil Gaiman but all the characters other than that created by Tom McFarlane Spawn is voiced by the legendary Keith David obviously he played Childs in John Carpenter's The Thing the classic film but he's also done a lot of voice acting he was the center in the New Frontier cartoon he was uh, the bad guy in Princess and the Frog and he's the president in Rick and Morty that's right (laughs) now Clown and Violator have two different voices, but Violator does not appear in the first episode. So uh, the clown is voiced by a Michael Nicolosi, who I couldn't really find a lot of uh, credits on other than this. I'm assuming he's a voice actor from other things. Tony Twist. Here's something I got to bring up. Tony Twist, the name was based off the St. Louis Blues hockey player, Tony Twist. And... This is a weird story that I had to bring up. Uh, He claims he filed the lawsuit because he hated the character and thought it gave him a bad name. He wanted to do it. But even though he, that's his claim, he still, that didn't stop him for suing McFarland for $15 million saying that his likeness created all sorts of profits. (laughs) Now I got to say no one ever is saying, oh man, if you watch that Spawn cartoon, the it's that uh, hockey player is, uh, who it's based on. Like, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I I can see where he was trying to get you know at least a little bit of a payday from that. But yeah, no one's looking at that character and saying, hey, that has to be that same hockey player. He, they look just alike and they act exactly the same. No one's making that parallel. Now, originally he won the case for fifteen million. They appealed it twice. Then finally, in 2006, him and Todd McFarlane settled out of court for five million dollars. That's kind of crazy to me, but because I, I don't, I don't know how you could really prove that his name generated any of the profit. Yeah, I doubt anybody was picking it up or watching the show because they said, "Well, I got to read more about Tony Twist." I mean, I think it was Spawn that was the big draw, but hey, at least he got something out of it. Twitch Williams is voiced by a Michael McShane, who's uh, he's done a lot of uh, different uh, things. He was uh, did voice acting on Vampire Hunter D. I believe he did the English dub. He was on the show Dave the Barbarian. Sam Burke, Detective Sam Burke. James Keen uh, did his voice. The only thing I could find is he played William Thomas Bell on The Paper Chaser. And I got to tell you, I don't even know what that is. Same. <laughs> Um, and Jason Wind, who's not much on this first episode, but I include him anyway, a John Rafter Lee. He does his voice, who does also a Tony Twist voice as well. He's done a lot, mostly voice acting. He's done a lot of uh, anime English dubs. He had actually worked on Vampire Hunter D Bloodlust. And I didn't bother with uh, Terry Fitzgerald or Wanda because they have such small roles on this particular episode. There you have it. So sit back, and we're going to watch Spawn the Animated... Well, it's technically called Todd McFarlane's Spawn, Burning Visions, and we're going to talk about it. When we come back, don't go anywhere. Spawn, your former self, meaning one hell-bent for leather, kick-ass, take-no-prisoners, government assassin by the name of Al Simmons is dead. 
When I let my guard down, all the ghosts come back to me. <laughs> you cut a deal for your soul. It'll spawn. So get used to it. As far as I know, I'm already dead. Which means I'm waiting for your sorry ass in the afterlife. Spawns. There is something good inside you. I used to be a man. What you do in the dark will be brought to the light. If you don't have the stomach for it, get the hell out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a comedian. <laughs> now available from New Line Home Video. His face, a mask of courage. Who are you? His armor. Awesome hardware. A living weapon. His mission. Ah! A fight for justice. His name, Spawn. Let's get it over with. You've been violated, girly bat. Spawn, PG-13, an R-rated director's cut. The most electric rock album of the decade has got to be Spawn. With Silverchair and Vitro. The Prodigy and Tom Morello. And filter with a crystal method. Fourteen tracks inspired by the awesome comic series. Spawn, it's heaps sick. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent looking podcast. All right, and we are back, and we just watched Todd McFarlane's Spawn, Burning Vision. And uh, right off the bat, I got to say, uh, before we really break down the show, I, uh, animation style is a weird, to me it felt like a cross between anime and Batman the Animated Series, if I had to really describe it. I could definitely see that. Uh, this this particular animation style has always been one of my favorite. I There are a few shows that have really encapsulated this type of look. Another one is um, The Tick. They all kind of came out around this time. Just this, the backgrounds, you can always see where they were like painted and the way that they were drawn. Like You feel the effort that went into making them. And I just, every time I see it, I'm so nostalgic to be about five years old again, just when these shows were brand new. Because... It just feels like a forgotten time whenever I see them. But yeah, definitely I can see the the influences from like some of the anime before anime was even all that big here. I mean, it just it really is a classic style of animation that just speaks to me so deeply. Now, the show opens, which it threw me for a loop, this bizarre live action segment with Todd McFarlane introducing the cartoon. I, 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 it <laughs> threw me off a little bit. I gotta say, it was a little weird. I love it. I, I think my favorite thing about it is that Todd says, "Yes, this show is Spawn. I'm gonna tell the story of Spawn, but I still need to be a part of it. They still need to know who made it, and I need to be the one to introduce it." That's very much Todd's flavor. That's his style. He just, it still has to be about him, at least a little bit. He still has to be the star in some way. <laughs> And I like how the last thing he says before we is to turn off the lights. I guess uh, <laughs> we're going to be really spooked by uh, the Spawn cartoon. <laughs> I love that he tries, though. And it also kind of just reminds me a little bit of like the Ripley's Believe It or Not show where you had Ripley, John Ripley, just like walking around and talking about the things he saw. It just it kind of feels like he's really inviting you into this world that he's crafted for you. 
So the show opens with the narration about how 400 years have passed. Uh, it's time for a new warrior to emerge from the darkness. And a uh, human soul is always the prize. So we're starting off uh, pretty ominous here. There's a couple of figures, dark figures in the alley. We find out they're going to be reporters who could have the byline of the decade, as they put it. They really do hit the ground running, too, with this one, because it just you already get this sense that, OK, this is a little bit grim, it's a little bit dark. You kind of think, OK, there's going to be some sort of exchange because they're talking about this story, this hard hitting story. It must be something interesting. And then they just go from zero to 100. No warning at all. And you just already feel like, wow. They stepped into the room and grabbed me by the neck because this did not wait for me to settle into the world before they already showed me how dark it gets. Yeah, because right off the bat, they meet this guy who's very nervous and really before he can say a word, he's, he's shot right and right off the bat. Yeah. And it's so weird, too, because I remember when I saw it, he gets shot and I was like, well, he's getting shot from behind, but they're standing in front of him. What happened? And then you see the rest of the people pull up and you're like, oh, this is about to get really bad for them. And it definitely does. And uh, one of them, he puts a shotgun to the head of the reporter. And this also threw me for a loop because I was expecting more of a back and forth. But nope, he pretty much just pulls the trigger and blows his head off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what i was saying like they did not waste any time they said we're just going to go ahead and start killing people off don't worry about getting to know them they won't be around that long and this isn't the cartoon where they like you hear a gunshot off camera like you clearly see them get blasted with a gun and blood goes splattering everywhere <laughs> definitely i mean they if if you're watching it now, this many years later, I mean, it definitely comes as a shock. I'm assuming probably at the time it might not have, considering you had to be watching HBO to see it. But yeah, they definitely made sure you know this is an adult program. Don't let the kids watch this. So the third, uh, the, the other reporter, he gets, he tries to run away, but he gets shot in the leg. And then they end up putting the gun in his mouth, asking him who else knows about this. And you see Spawn is kind of lurking in the background, observing what's going on. It's that classic spawn on top of the church, like gripping onto the cross. Just beautiful. Uh, he says not to worry that nobody else knows about it. He hasn't told anyone. Another guy shows up with a gasoline can. They start uh, pouring gasoline on him. Now, at this point, I'm a little confused because I don't know why the hell they don't just shoot him. My, uh, <laughs> I, they've, they've already killed the other two. Uh, why the elaborate ruse of trying to burn him alive? Exactly. I, I doubt they ran out of bullets, but apparently with the last one, they were like, well, let's actually send a message. Let's make this one a little bit more gruesome than the other two. Spawn shows up and tells him to let him go. And I got to say, hearing the voice with the animation, Keith David is pretty much as great, as good as you're going to get to be the voice of Spawn. Exactly. Yeah. Just that, that growl that he brings to it, just this gruff sound to the voice. It really sells that this is not a voice you want to hear in a dark alley. Even if you're some sort of hitman here, who's already killed two other people, it's going to rattle you to your bones. So uh, he throws the lighter, but it does not go off. And then spawn just pretty much just starts kicking ass His his magic chains come in in his cape and he's tossing these guys around like nothing he breaks one of their arms in fact to make him uh shoot the gun at himself <laughs> and they just they do it all to such perfect effect too i mean the animation here it just i i don't even want to know who these sick people were who had to sit there and draw this i mean this is this was at a different time when they had to draw everything so i mean they had to think it up then they had to draw it they had to animate it it just it really is done to amazing effect i mean you'd be hard-pressed to even find movies nowadays that do anything even close to it yeah because like he doesn't pull him you like literally like you see the bone break and shoots himself in the head <laughs> now the guy in gasoline he pulls the gun on him and says to stay back spawn tells him you don't want to do that but he doesn't listen and the spark from the bullet <laughs> lights him on fire <laughs> and you know for a second i felt bad for him but then i was like well Spawn told him not to. I mean, and he knows it's a gun. He probably should have thought, I'm covered in gas. Maybe I should listen to him. So at that point, it's hard to feel bad for the guy. But still, seeing someone burn to death, yeah, that's going to that's gonna make your stomach turn at least a little bit. And while he burns the clown, we get our first shot of the clown who, 
uh, who laughs, which I got to say, like, looks perfect, really looks like he jumped off the comic book. And this guy, the voice actor, is, like, so much better than John Leguizama in that live-action movie. Absolutely. He nails the voice. Like, he comes across as just menacing. And you can tell he takes delight in other people's suffering and just destruction in general. So, I mean, he nailed it perfectly the laugh is creepy and sinister and it definitely haunts you even after you've heard him stop while he's looking at the fire spawn gets a vision of his wife who's actually naked of all things which (laughs) i also gotta say i should have seen it coming but it really did take me by surprise when it happened (laughs) that's what i'm saying they said you know what we're going to make sure everybody knows exactly everything to expect here death gruesomeness nudity just everything all at once you're gonna see it all here and they prove it to you in those first five minutes of the show she says in the vision that she loves him but he also has a a vision of his own fiery demise and spawn screams that i came back for you and i gotta say i felt dumb but i completely forgot that from the comic that spawn doesn't know who he is when he first Come back. I drew a complete blank until watching the cartoon that that even happened. Very true. Yeah, I also had, had forgotten that because, I mean, especially now where Spawn is at right now, I mean, he's so very much aware and in control of where he's at that you kind of forget that at one point he was all brand new to this. He didn't even know what was going on, what he is or why he's back and why he can't remember anything. So when you see it for a second, you're like, wait, that's not the Spawn that I know. And you're right. This is still very much early in his career. The narrator says how uh, they don't allow the Spawn Warriors to go unchecked. Uh, they're given a proper escort, which would be the clown. He explains to Spawn as well that he is a Hell Spawn, and he better get used to it. Yeah, he says how he doesn't remember the violence, but he says you're a killer. You see violence and you act, and that's why they picked you. Um, and they pick perfectly. I mean, who better than you know a government assassin to pick as your guy to just dole out i don't even want to say vengeance just death in general he rips off his mask and you get the first look of how his face is completely burnt um all hamburger meat and he uh and unlike say the deadpool movie like he looks like bad like he doesn't look like ryan reynolds with like slightly bad makeup like he looks like something you would not want to kiss Exactly, yeah, because at least Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool, like he still had his lips. He was all scar tissue, but he had lips. This one doesn't. He's also missing like a chunk of flesh off his head. I mean, it's just very much more zombie than anything else. And he screams, who am I? He encounters two homeless gentlemen. Well, I should say he kind of passed out and they kind of wake him up. And uh, one of them says, uh, Jesus Christ on our crutch, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, is understandable. I mean, even living in a city, I'm sure, I mean, New Yorkers have seen a lot, but nothing prepares you for finding something like that in an alley. So definitely, even they were a little bit taken aback. They ask him if he's okay. He said he's been screaming for 10 minutes. And then he says how he has to find Wanda. She'll know who I am. She's my wife. So he's kind of getting some of his memory uh, back through these flashbacks. Now it's kind of weird in the flashbacks because if I remember the comic, they didn't they didn't reveal he was black until when he actually met Wanda. So these flashbacks, they kind of give that away a little bit earlier than they did in the comic books. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. I remember in the comics, because I was rereading like those earliest issues and they they definitely had that that reveal kind of late. As a matter of fact, when he first, if I remember correctly, when he first sees himself, he actually sees himself as a white guy. And he's just he's even more confused why he can't remember who he is. And then it was later on revealed that, you know, he was actually, you know, a black man named Al Simmons. So it's one of those things they didn't do that here. So it's kind of interesting to see this different change in the life that he led before is kind of coming back to him slowly. So, but I do like it. I I think it, it fits perfectly for even modern days. Like it's just, it's, it's very well done. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't story wise, narrative wise, it doesn't change anything. I was just uh, more of an observation on my part that it's slightly different timeline than the comic book. Yeah. Now he turns the bum down for the, for the drink. And uh, (laughs) one of my favorite lines, the bum says, I understand. Too much Thunderbird and I'm dancing naked in Times Square. 
And you know what? You know, good for him for at least understanding. Because if it had been me, if I offered you a drink and you throw it and break the bottle, I'm going to be a little bit upset. And said he was just like, I get it. it. It's fine. Me too. I probably have had enough anyway. So that's fine. And he smashes the bottle and he says, I don't need your help. He's going home, he says. So then we go to the uh, our first appearance of uh, Twitch and Sam investigating the crime scene of the of the essentially the triple homicide that spawned uh committed just a little short time ago and uh one of the cops says that uh two mafia scum that never looked better twitch kind of reminds me of uh a lot of harvey bullock i feel from the batman comics yeah he definitely does he walks up he's already got you know the the donut in his mouth and he's there telling him like sir i don't think the the crime scene techs are going to like that you're leaving donut crumbs all over and he literally just with his hands sprinkles some more on top of the crumbs <laughs> I was like that's definitely that hardened type of detective just doesn't care uh, we find out these are uh, some of uh, tony twist men some of his best hitters uh but the uh reporter the one that wasn't burnt was a, a reporter for the washington post which uh I thought it was uh, random because doesn't is in New York City that this takes place in. I can't. I honestly now I'm drawing a blank again. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is in New York City, or is it Washington D? No, I'm pretty sure it's New York City. I might or have it, to go back and check. Or is it a is it a Gotham type city where it's not a real city but kind of New? Yeah, it's just kind of based on something, but it has a different name. I can't honestly remember. I have to look. He can't come up with anything. Uh, Twitch says he uh, to find me a. Uh, this was another. Uh, <laughs> Great line where he says, uh, find me a connection with all these toe tags, but first buy me something with chocolate sprinkles. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then he asked me, he was like two dozen series, like half that I want to diet. You know that? <laughs> so that <laughs> is a great little intro for Sam and twist. I got to say, and I hope I haven't seen all this cartoon. I hope they get used more on this cartoon. Oh yeah, for sure. So then we switch to a nice neighborhood where uh, Spawn is uh, hiding in a tree. I got to say, even with like, he's got the coat and like the hat pulled down. But I mean, come on. He's got to, <laughs> how is anyone not noticing this creepy guy hanging out in a tree? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, he's got more visions of his wife. And then he has some of uh, gunfire. Then he sees the garage open and there is his best friend is coming out of the car. Which, hold on. Terry Fitzgerald couldn't remember his name. And out comes a little girl and his wife saying that she wants to say goodbye to daddy. So uh, he he does not react very well to that. In fact, he said there's always an agonizing price to pay and they tear away later. So, man, it's, uh, his best friend now with his wife... Now, I know, have they said at this point, I think they said it was five years has passed since, uh, since, uh, he died. since he died, yeah. So, I mean, it definitely, it's it's one of those things where, if, I mean, for him, it definitely feels like it was probably just not even half that. So, seeing, yeah, his best friend now with his wife, that's going to sting at least a little bit just because, you know, that's the reason you came back was for her. And then you see she's already kind of moved on without you. So, I mean, where do you go from there? The narrator says how oh, this is Hell's plan to keep the new recruits confused to prevent personal plans. Then the clown shows up. He's drinking a coffee and uh, he's got a Rocky Road ice cream cone. <laughs> Which I have my questions about because that that Rocky Road, even though it had worms on it, it also had flies buzzing around. So I don't know if that was chocolate <laughs> or maybe something else, but I, I it's probably best not to ask questions. And of course, he eats it like a complete slob. And in fact, he offers some to Al and it like slips off the the cone. <laughs> he um, tells him how uh, he's not surprised because uh, apparently he says that uh, you've been dead five years and you were shooting blanks when you were alive. So he's really uh, he's really like rubbing salt in the wound at this point. Yeah, he's digging his heels in there, just letting him know like, yeah, not only did she move on, but now she has someone who actually gave her a kid. So, ugh. And he says, you're Al Simmons, government assassin. Spawn doesn't believe him. It's not true. And I know I say this a lot about lines, but uh, he says another classic, back off 
before I introduce your face to your colon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one was perfect. And especially, again, with Keith David's just growling voice. I mean, it really came across as that's a legitimate threat. And uh, the clown says that he's kind of cute when he gets indignant. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, Clown just never, that's why I'm saying he delights in just the suffering, and you can tell no matter if someone's threatening him, he's still just going to have his own fun. So, I mean, it made him even more, I don't want to say a likable character, but (laughs) definitely the character to watch. (laughs) So we switch to a graveyard where Spawn is digging up the grave of Simmons. In fact, the narrator says that all the Hellspawns do this when they start to remember their past life. And he finally digs up, and there in the coffin is a corpse in an army uniform with the name tag Simmons, which this causes Spawn to have flashbacks of gunfire and his wedding. And then he screams and rips off the finger of the corpse where he's wearing the ring. And it does say on it, Al and Wanda forever. And then he like really like just loses it at that point. I can imagine how that must feel. I mean, seeing your own corpse kind of laying there, you know, medals and all, and then you ask your winning band. And I mean, I think for me, the worst part would be as soon as I realized the ring is real, like just stopping and thinking, I just pulled off my own finger. Like that's not, <laughs> that's got to be a nightmare right there. I mean, listen, this poor guy, and not only does he find out he's dead, his wife has moved on, not only has moved on, moved on with his best friend, and. <laughs> He knocked her up and he couldn't. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just stacking up for him at this point. Problem after problem. Then the uh, the corpse kind of comes to life. I don't know if this is all in his head or if it uh, if it's really happening. Uh, the corpse tells him that he, he made a deal for his soul. That he'd get to see Wanda again if he became the Hellspawn. He kind of got mad and like threw it and the whole thing just smashed to pieces. The, the corpse. Yeah, I like to think that that was probably Mal Bolgia probably trying to mess with him, trying to remind him, like, hey, you can be mad about this, you can feel sad about it, but you made a deal, and now that you know it's real, you're going to live up to your end of the bargain, so that's got to suck. So then we uh, switch to kind of a messed up scene where we have uh, Tony Twist, he's screaming on the phone about uh, his men have died, he's talking to Wynn. At first, I thought he was naked, but uh, <laughs> he's just wearing a pink thong. <laughs> Which and, is uh, only slightly less worse than if he were actually naked. <laughs> and two women in the, like, they got like domino mats and like, I wouldn't say S&M, but it's close to the lingerie they're wearing. And they're they're kind of making out, but they're very nervous at the same time. Yeah, which I mean, if if I were in the same room with a guy who looked like Tony Twist, and I mean, he's just in that state of undress and he's getting mad. I'd also be thinking, hey, how can I get out of here? He says that uh, to win that this smells like a government trained assassin. And uh, Win says to be careful before you make these strong implications. They kind of hang up. Win is a pretty cool villain, I feel, but uh, we're only reviewing the first episode. So we really don't get much of him on this episode. But still, just that little that little snippet is enough, because, I mean, definitely, if you're going to accuse a guy of sending a government assassin, you know, after your own people, that might not be the type of person to just wantonly, you know, threaten or try to accuse, because obviously he has unlimited resources and a lot of manpower. So maybe think twice before you just start throwing around the accusations. After they hang up, Wynn makes another phone call to a important sounding guy where they don't get identified. And he says that uh, the newsman has been dealt with, that Wynn now has an unlimited credit with the Department of Defense. So we know he's talking to someone of a very high-ranking official in the U.S. government. He says, uh, you sure about this? You're, you're covering for a child killer. And uh, he says that's his son, uh, which obviously they're talking about, which <laughs> this is why I brought you on the show. I can't remember the name of this, of this damn villain. Yeah, uh, uh, Billy Kincaid. Billy Kincaid, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is obviously building up to uh, Billy Kincaid coming onto the show at some point. But he says, you can't keep, he's killing children, you can't keep these secrets forever. And he ominously says, the dead keep their secrets. 
they got that pretty much uh, set in stone what's going to be going on later. Oh, yeah. I mean, they rope you in with plenty of violence, nudity, profanity, all of it. And then they also give you just an interesting setup that there's definitely something going on behind the scenes. There's some sort of more sinister plot and some very evil people behind this, which is funny because they are actual just people. They're not these aren't demons. These are just regular humans who are just all kinds of messed up in the head. So uh, we switched to a couple of cops pulling over a couple. Tell him to get out of the car and get in the back, saying that uh, that he's from Eternal Affairs. And they're going to pretty much teach him a lesson, which Spawn interrupts where they try and shoot him, which I wouldn't say it has no effect. It doesn't bounce off him, but it, it threw him and like the green blood shoots out, but it pretty much heals and doesn't do a dang thing to him. Yeah. He uh, whips the chains, throws the guy, tells him that he advises that he retires. Clown shows up and says, way to go. Don't take any shit. He loves that about him. He says this while he's kissing a dead rat. But <laughs> oh, yeah, That's right. He takes the rat from the earlier in the episode, which is weird because the rat was shown to be kind of almost evil looking itself. But I kind of felt a little bit bad when he just kind of like squeezes it to death. I was like, oh, man. And after kissing the dead rat, he does what all good villains does and walks into the shadow laughing maniacally. <laughs> We get a final shot with the narrator saying, oh, with the hell spawn comes pain, death, violence, and always the vile stench of brimstone. And that's how we end Spawn, the animated series, Burning Vision. So I got to say, uh, they unpack a lot of stuff for, for down the road on this cartoon. Yeah, you got to love it. I mean, it's it's just one of those things that they... They hit it so well, the the characterization of Spawn himself setting up this world that's just full of all kinds of just twisted figures, shadowy government, you know, operatives and then mafiosos and just general bad guys with like the the cops who are just corrupt. I mean, everywhere you look, there's some other problem. So it kind of makes sense that out of all of that, Spawn is in some way a hero in that he's he's here to kind of kill them, not just because, you know he has this sense of doing right, but because they are that evil that even a hell spawn comes in and is like, yeah, you guys probably deserve to be where I was. So I'm going to go ahead and send you there. It, it really does make sense. So if you think about it, we got, we've got a setup for spawn, finding out more about his origin interaction with the clown, more of the mystery of what's going on with his best friend and his wife, the uh, Tony twist and the secret government agent. And just basically the all on, you know, hell is pretty much like, like behind all of this. So this is a pretty good setup, I got to say, for an ongoing series with a, a lot of things you can go from this direction. Exactly. Yeah. They, they set you up with so many different problems that he can tackle and end up getting tangled in and just have to deal his way out of it. And then you you do see like, you know, with Sam and Twitch, like there's there's that little bit also of them that you see not everybody here is evil obviously we also have like you know wanda and um the daughter's name is cyan and terry i mean not everybody is all the way evil there are some bright spots but for the most part where spawn's going to be existing it's just going to be darkness and death and just all kinds of corruption so that's why i was saying like i was thinking about it when i was watching the episode it's kind of interesting in that you see spawn it seems like hell gives him these powers because the whole thing is, you know, hell wants more souls, you know, to be in its army, to be part of its numbers. So it makes sense that you would send someone here to kill evil people because you know where they're going to end up. So kill them while they're committing the crime and you can kind of guarantee you have more bodies in your army. And uh, plus we have Detective Sam and Detective Twitch who are investigating all this madness at the same time as well. I, that's what I love it too. And they, they, I remember they also had their own spinoff series. I didn't read very much of it, the Sam and Twitch series, but I like the characters themselves. I've always been a fan of like detective and noir type of stories. So, I mean, they are kind of perfect for that, especially just their characterizations. Like you said, with, with Sam being, you know, very much the gruff detective coming on the scene, eating donuts, you know, complaining about how, oh, you know, it's it's too late slash too early. Like nothing human is alive at night. And Twitch said, they're like, yeah, just us public servants, sir. I mean, they have that perfect <laughs> dynamic together, like without even trying. Twitch is always just the perfect comedic relief. But he says everything's so deadpan. It just 
it fits so perfect. Uh, now, before we break into uh, the official review, I gotta say, uh, I think this uh, this holds up pretty well with time. I think the animation style is still doesn't look all that dated to me, and uh, I don't think the story was corny or anything like some other cartoons. I, I gotta say, it uh, to me, it it holds up pretty well. Oh yeah, I mean, definitely, it, it definitely holds up to me as well. I think one of the only ways with like cartoons like this that you can kind of tell the time it's from is that obviously there are no smartphones. Computers are these big, you know, square things, these big blocks that you look at them and you're like, well, that's not what computers look like anymore. So those are really the only things that kind of date them. But other than that, I mean, the characterizations, the drama, everything just it really holds up as a good show. And on that note, we're going over to the spectrometer. For anyone new to the show, every week we rank what we saw, zero Spectros being absolute garbage, four Spectros being it just doesn't get any better than that. Dr. Midnighter, how are you going to rank Spawn Burning Vision? Oh man, for me, I'd have to give this a four Spectros just because there's nothing else. I mean, if you want for me the epitome of an animation, dark cartoon type of stuff, this is absolutely it. It hits every single thing on the checklist, fires on all cylinders from straight out of the gate. So for me, it has to be the top. You're, you're going flawless. You're, there's nothing about it you would change. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. All right. I'm, uh, I'm not going to go quite as high. I did think I'm going to go three and a half. Uh, the only critique I would have at all is Sometimes I felt there was an overuse of slow motion where it sometimes felt like they were padding time a little bit. Other than that, I really enjoyed it. I like the animation style. I like that they didn't hold back. So it definitely stands out from a lot of the other animation. Uh, to me, it's pretty faithful from what I remember of the old Spawn comic books. I like the voice acting. Um, yeah, I don't really have too much criticism. So yeah, I'm going to go three and a half. Nice. Yeah, I could definitely live with that because, yeah, there are definitely some of those scenes where you could feel like they might not have known where they were, where they were going to go or they thought, well, we need to pad this out a little bit more to make like the full episode runtime. So let's slow down some of the scenes, add in some extra frames for some of these like gunshots and stuff like that. And we'll just call it a day. Now, every week we also I already know the answer to this, but I ask it every week. If a child in 2022 stumbles across Spawn Burning Vision. Are they going to enjoy it? <laughs> I think they will. Um, their parents probably won't enjoy that they enjoy it, but I think they will. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, that's, that's a hard no on that one. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think a child should be watching it, let alone enjoying it. Definitely not. Definitely not. There's a reason why they had it on HBO and that's where it probably should have stayed. But you know, kids these days, they can find almost anything that they want to watch. So <laughs> Well, what did you think out there? Did you, uh, well, you couldn't have liked it better than we did, but did you like it any less? That's okay. If you did, we can't take that away from you. Uh, I do want to hear uh, your opinion. If you uh, want to go to my social media, I'm at Matt Spectro on Twitter. Follow me while you're there. You can find my Facebook page, Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse, and uh, leave your comments and uh, give me a follow and a like. Uh, I want to thank Dr. Midnighter for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much again for having me on. Glad to have been here. And like I do for everybody, uh, free plug time if uh, not everybody has something, but I know you do. So the floor is yours. Plug away. Thank you, sir. I have a YouTube channel. As Matt mentioned, I do have a channel by the name of The Raging Rainbow where you can see me. I talk mostly about comic books, just every genre horror detective superhero for the most part definitely marvel dc image anybody i am also a part of you know the comics gate crowd so i talk a lot about you know independent projects and stuff like that i like to sit down with creators every so often on a live stream and you know talk with them what's your project about what is it that you're doing what is the story and all of that so i mean definitely come over if you want to have good times just sit back listen to me drone on about comics and just kind of you know enjoy the ride so you can definitely find me there. You can also find me on Twitter at Retindim. It's literally mid underscore nighter backwards. So if you can figure that out, you can find me there. And also on Instagram at mid underscore nighter. So find me on those places. 
come and hang out and always be there to just enjoy the conversation about comics. Beautiful. And uh, like I said, uh, you know where to find me. And if while you're there, if uh, you could follow me and smash the subscribe button, I'd appreciate it as well. Again, I really appreciate you joining us. I hope you'll come back for another episode. Absolutely. All right. So that's going to do it for this week. I want to thank you all for joining us. Thank my guest. And join us again next week for another episode of Met Spectral Through the Multiverse. Excelsior!